we are transitioning from a very strange summer, Carl, to a hopefully wonderful fall. Rabbit, rabbit. <laughs> rabbit, rabbit. Because if, you, if you're on the social media, you know that you're supposed to say rabbit, rabbit, the first thing out of your mouth on the first day of the month. Because I, the stories are many and varied, but I don't know why. And so I just say rabbit, rabbit, and some months are better than others. Oh, you learn something every day. <laughs> we'll talk to our guest, Gary Bell from Stray Dog Theater and their new production of A Little Night Music. And then around minute 16, we'll talk to Frankie Cabalanetta about the Haunted Garage Horror Festival at Westport Playhouse and all things horror, including a discussion about... The Halloween series around minute 29. And then around minute 40, we'll talk Hocus Pocus 2. Around minute 53, the greatest beer run ever. And then around one hour and six minutes, bros. Well, I'm excited because we have not one, but two guests for a super deluxe edition today. We have Gary Bell, who is the artistic director of the Stray Dog Theater. And they are back in full force with quite a season. It's been a wonderful season so far. Like we had the normal heart. We had the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. That was so delightful. And now we are having one of the greatest, if not the greatest, Broadway composer ever, Stephen Sondheim, do uh, they're going to do his not often done a little night music. So welcome, Gary. Thank you. Nice to be here. We are so happy because we missed you for the spelling bee, but that was so much fun. I bet audiences really enjoyed. Yeah, I think audiences like that because there's an audience participation aspect to it. You know, four of them get on stage and try to spell the words. And one of them actually is there almost the entire first act. You know, so it, audiences love seeing other audiences being silly. Uh, and so what's what's yeah what's a beautiful thing about that show is uh the the improv improvisation with the modern things because even though it was written i think early 2000s a long time ago yeah the cast inserts all this local and uh contemporary humor and jason myers was so bad. he is very quick and fast Oh he can improv very well. He did this line about missing the Chaco Taco. <laughs> yeah. He was like, because he played the vice principal that's a little high strung, let's put it mm. like that. And he goes, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just missing the Chaco Taco. <laughs> and other lines like that. So that was fun. So anyway, and this is a whole different flavor, that's for sure. <laughs> So now we have a very serious Sondheim. Well, actually, it is based on an Ingmar Bergman movie. Mm -hmm. And I actually saw this in college. It's Smiles of a Summer Night. And it sounds so festive and beautiful. And the voices have to be top-notch. But it's a deeper story. So tell us what this A Little Night music is about. Well... Actually, I don't think a lot of people realize that it can be done very humor, full of humor as well. It's a lot of farce about people falling in love with different people and uh, changing partners and wanting to be with this person, young and old experiences. Um, 
I think that, you know, the most famous song from this musical is Send in the Clowns, which gets done by almost everyone. And a lot of people don't realize that's not from a very, uh, his famous pieces. It's actually from a one that's a little bit um, more or less done less. But I like it a lot because it has a lot of things to say about uh, growing older, falling in love, um, finding yourself again at a different age. And um, the setup is very unique in that there is a, um, a quintet of singers who actually are <laughs> featured predominantly mostly throughout the show. They act like a Greek chorus in a way, but they have most of the music and they do these unique uh, moments hiding behind different trees and furniture and coming out and making commentary. And um, I, the, the format and setup is so different and unique from most of Sondheim's uh, pieces. And uh, the characters have a chance to experience all different kind of fun stuff. And Justin Bean, of course, is directing again the musical. And he uh, is finding, I think, very interesting new things in the piece uh, about humor and um, the, the farce elements of how quickly they move through the show is very helpful as well. Yeah. Well, that's right. But well, again, the the black and white version by Bergman was for Bergman was a much lighter yeah. uh, thing. And then Woody Allen adapted it mm -hmm. into uh, into a thing. So it is um, I totally forgot about the revival on Broadway where Catherine Zeta-Jones won best actress because mm -hmm. she played Desiree because Desiree's the one who sings send in the clowns and suddenly realizes no oh, man my life's kind of a mess <laughs> don't worry they're here you know the interesting <laughs> thing about that song is that it was written for the actress uh, Glynis uh, John, uh, Johns and she is not really a singer so he actually made the song be about questions so that she didn't have to hold out notes. You know, like if you say, isn't it rich? You kind of stop. And he liked her as an actor, but he had to come up with a song that she could sing. She had a small voice, not a big voice. So the song is unique in that kind of fashion that it wasn't really meant to be. I don't think the big splashy song of the show, but it ended up being something that many, many people have recorded. You know, it's been... It's well, I love that. I love that song, A Weekend in the Country. And I, <laughs> I just I love that. And it's for so you have. So who who are your characters? Because you have to have really good voices here. Yeah, well, we have uh, Paula Dean Stoff, you know, as um, the uh, as Desiree. I think she's going by Paula Dean now. Uh, just Paula Dean. And then, of course, we have uh, John High. He is uh, Frederick and Eileen Engel who actually popped in for us during uh, 25th Putnam when we had fortunately had a little COVID moment. She learned the show in two days and came in and filled in for somebody for a while. Wow. So she can, she handled that really well. And then Scott Diggins Fry, he plays the count and a woman named Madeline Black is the countess. And um, we have a, a great chorus as well. And then uh, we have uh, Liz Michelle, playing uh, Madame Armfelt, the, the mother of Desiree. Who, who's so a real, oh, I was going to say, who's really a comic character. Yeah, exactly. So it's a, it's a lot of, uh, lot of fun. Last night, it's, it's, a, it's a musical about chairs because we <laughs> pulled 
gosh, like 12 chairs from our, our, our stock, you know, high-end chairs that are used in a wide variety of ways. And it's about chairs and suitcases because they're traveling and they're going through the country. And it's it was kind of fun and unique to make that happen. But, you know, what we do at Stray Dog is we kind of take something really big. Of course, we can't do all the sets and places where they're going to and coming from. But there's unique ways that you can make that happen by uh, lighting and showing where people are coming from. And uh, we like to do that because you then focus more on the story instead of watching all of the, all of the uh, set pieces moving and stuff like that. I think we're doing it with two chaises, like a table, the chairs, suitcases, and we're out. Uh, but the uh, costumes, a lot of them are being made by Eileen Engel. Um, they're quite beautiful. Um, and because they're period, period costumes that have to fit these folks, the theme and color of the show is kind of a real- oh, Hold on a second, hold on a second. She's in the show and made the costumes. Yes. That's and great. That's not unusual That's for commitment. Her. No, no, she no. does. she does that a lot. In fact, uh, she is a- uh, a renowned costume designer yes. and locally she works at the muni in the summer and for the color purple she was the assistant costume yeah. designer yeah she's a little bit you know I, i've always thought gosh that poor girl she's so busy she works so hard and i realized oh she likes this you know she enjoys being very busy very very um um you know keeping her time full and so she yeah she's, she's making costume and she's playing Anne, which is one of the major leads in the shows is that um, the young girl, the the young wife who doesn't it. think she fits in? That's it. But she does, oh. you know, yeah, that's not unusual for Eileen. I mean, it's, she just loves to be busy and she's so quick and talented. And as, as uh, Lynn shared, she is, you know, her, she is a union uh, seamstress and she's works at the Muni and other places like that. Well, she, she also um, is... Uh, what I was going to say, she has a beautiful voice because she played Joy in it in um, mm -hmm. your Sweeney, Sweeney Todd. Todd. So is that the last time you did Sondheim? I was trying to think. Uh, we did an Into the Woods before then, but I think that was probably our last time that the last time was was Sweeney. And then we did Into, into the Woods before that. Well, you're not afraid of a challenge. I will give you that. No. <laughs> 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 we do big things on a small stage and i think it works you know again you get to be really in on the story that way and people are i, I think people are a lot smarter than sometimes we give them credit <laughs> for they don't need all this stuff right just tell them a good story they'll pay attention and follow through as long as it makes sense you don't need to beat them over the head yeah and of course uh you have you must be a sondheim fan you 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 have to be Right. Well, I'm a I'm a theater fan, and he's definitely part of that world. Um, the interesting thing about Sondheim is that when he first, a lot of these shows when they first came out, the critics are like, eh, about them. You know, he wasn't a big critically acclaimed guy until later on in his life. Uh, his style is very unique and different. It's not the mainstream kind of you know uh, songs, which are also lovely. He has unique tonalities to his music. Can be very difficult to learn. You do need really, really good singers to capture some of the things that he achieves. And, um, but I just think that there's ways to do um, great things in, in simple ways. That's, that would be the way that I would describe what we do. Yeah. Well, the, the website is Stray Dog Theater with an R-E, the way it should be spelled, dot org. You can find out all the information there. And leading into our next guest, your show in December 
uh, Ride the Cyclone, the musical, is a little bit of a horror film <laughs> or a horror musical, right? A, a little bit. Again, it's tongue in cheek. It's got these, it's about six kids who ride, get on this ride called Ride the Cyclone and they, it crashes and they all die and they all go down to, to hell. And this kind of um, mysterious helper guide says uh, they, they show him uh, something of interest, a song that they can do well, that he'll let one of them come back to live in life. So it's kind of like a challenge. But it's a real kind of quirky, you know, we do a lot of those things too, like Triassic Park, quirky shows. And it's uh, it is a humor in it as well. It's perfect a, for Christmas. It's perfect for Christmas. Yeah. Well, I like that you you program usually alternative programming for, for Christmas because yeah. I have seen some uh, Charles Bush shows and yeah. some... Uh, like the what was the one from Mars or the planet or something that was at oh, Christmas? Uh, Devil Boys. The yeah. Devil Boys come out of space. <laughs> yeah, was there. There's so many things like Dickens and uh, the Nutcracker, and those are great things. There's nothing against them. But if you want something a little bit different, something maybe where we know kids are going to be for a while, step on over to see us. We'll, we'll <laughs> offer that fair. Uh, it's a little bit, you know, unique and different. And then you can bring a lot. We get a lot of people who bring uh, office parties, you know, they want to see something different and unique and fun. Yeah. Last and, year was, wasn't it, it was the who it was the, 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 who's, the, the yeah, who's holiday about who? little Cindy Lou who, who grew up and her life didn't turn out the way that she thought that it would be. She was uh, a little bit of a whore, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> It was done in uh, rhyme, just like, you know, um, the doctor's stuff. And she shared with us her life and she, her life with the Grinch. They got together and had a little baby and, you know, stuff like that. All the normal stuff. So yeah. that, that was our- Merry holiday. Christmas. Yes, it, Merry Christmas, everyone. It, it was set inside her a little Who decorated trailer with all Up the stuff and it. sparkling. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was cute. I thought it was fun. We laughed a lot. It I think does, you I think you idea. did have they have the bark bar available at the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people can go there and just, you know, have a libation or two, have a good holiday time. Yay. Come on. <laughs> well, okay. So the dates of your show before before we say goodbye. Uh, what are the dates for this one? Our dates are October the 6th and it goes through October the 22nd. And then we have our matinee on the 16th and there's a Wednesday in there as well. I believe that's the 19th. All and, shows and the 16th is also going to have uh, the audio description. So if you are vision impaired, you can, I love that, that they will, it, the audio description that you can wear in your ear, wow. that is very, very helpful to those who, don't think that they can go out and see theater. Yeah. And as fun and silly and sometimes serious as we are in our theater, we're very, very passionate about outreach and disability. So every Friday night, we also have uh, signers for uh, you know the, the hearing impaired. So, uh, and then we have the Sundays when we do Mind's Eye and they come in, they audio descript the show is what is officially called. So, you know, we, we, we have that available for folks who are, are looking to come see theater and feel like it's maybe not accessible, we make it accessible. Plus, of course, we have handicap accessibility, even though it's an old, old building, you can get in through a disability uh, elevator, it's all set up really well. 
Um, that's very important for us to make sure that everyone feels like they can be a part of this stray dog experience. Which is very welcoming. Well, thank you, Gary. I'm so glad you could make it because I know your schedule is very busy this time well, of year. Lynn, for you, I can move things around. That's what I do. <laughs> She's the well, best. Well, thank you. And uh, break a leg. And I'll see you, you next uh, Thursday. You will. Yes, you will. Great. Thanks, guys. Have a Thanks, great Gary. day. Bye. And now we move on to our the person that's been on the show more than anyone else. <laughs> you, guys Gamble, me, you guys love me. <laughs> Absolutely love me. That's why. So, hey, Frankie Campbelletta, how are you this morning? I am good. I'm glad I caught that first segment because that is one of my favorite musicals that Sondheim has ever done. I actually grew up um, with a with a mom who let me watch all the 55 Bergman classics going into Harold Prince's 77 version of that film. Yeah. Also, fun fact about um, a little with Elizabeth Taylor, which she actually did the vocals for. She's one wow. of. Wow. Yes, she did send in the clowns. And I think she did the one you were talking about. I think she did. She did both songs. And that was very rare um, uh, for them to do it. Usually they go into and do ADR with actual yep. singers and stuff like that. But actual Liz Taylor wanted to take it on and she did a pretty good job. Still one of my favorite songs is Sending the Clowns. It's been redone by Barbara Streisand, Frank Sinatra. So it's kind of fun to, I always Judy have that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's always, I always have kind of theater music and musicals playing in the background, even though I'm horror centered. I think that there's something <laughs> to be said with, well, yeah. Know, God and, well, it's, well, musicals sweet. are fantasy nobody goes around singing their dialogue never right. it is fantasy people really? don't understand that that we really? actually Lynn, do you have, don't hear music yeah. uh, we have a we have a film that's out of uh it's a student film and it's actually a horror musical which i'm very excited about it's a 15 minute film um i'll actually bring it up here in a second here so is I that can... okay so 15 minutes let's say that they had to write at least three songs, at least. Oh yeah, the entire thing is kind of done as a musical. I was blown away when I realized that it actually was, um, that it, when you look at it, it was actually a student film and I was blown away by it. And it's actually called The Starlight Hotel. It's out of Springfield, Missouri. It's directed by um, Brett Baxley. The runtime's 15 minutes. It is, it's all filmed inside one of the most haunted hotels in America, and that's the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs. So they really kind of came together. I mean, these are students, but they came together and put their setting to kind of fit the mood of the Starlight Hotel. So there's a lot of music in it. It's, it's definitely a different spin on a horror film, which is why we loved it. And then we found that it was student film, and we loved it even more because you're starting to see a lot of creativity come from um, the horror aspect, right? But we're always, always trying to find that different angle in horror. You know, a couple years back, we were all chasing possession. Um, a couple years ago, we were all chasing slasher and slash uh, Folklore has become huge with uh, A24 and Midsommar and just a bunch of other different types of uh, films that we're trying to see. And when you have these students kind of put, and we actually have three student films that, that will blow you away. We have one from SVA. We have one from, um, like I said, I think Columbia. We have one from, let me see where my other student film is. We have one from Dixie State University. Um, that one is called 1417, 417 Meadow Lane, Winter Park, Florida. So we have some great films. We have a lot of filmmakers actually coming in from Tennessee and Arkansas to see their films. And that's big for us for our second year. 
they really want to be a part of that. And that's probably because of all the, the speakers we brought in this year. Oh, well, that's cool. Well, okay. This is the haunted garage festival because mm -hmm. it's shift films and you always have a car theme in, in what you're doing. Right. And this is the second year. Last year was the first. Mm -hmm. I actually, um, heard from the winner last year, Ryan Imhoff. Um, he did fresh hell yep. and, uh, it's now available on digital and that, so he sent me the link to it. So I figured I'd yeah. write about it around Halloween time, yes. but this is going to be, uh, at the Westport playhouse. So yes. this is their first film festival with their giant led screen. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's giant and we are giving, I mean, cinema St. Louis is just the, the, the old guard. These guys have been doing it for a long time. We, we, we have taken a lot of um, pointers from them on how they've been so successful over the years in St. Louis. And actually my film was selected this year. So it was awesome to be kind of an alumni of this. Unfortunately I had to leave early because I had a little puppy. And so my whole team had to leave and, you know, cause my, my, uh, my uh, counterpart wasn't getting home at the time I thought she was. So I wanted to get home to my puppy. So we had to leave a little early during the award show, but it was fantastic. And then kind of looking at what we had done last year um, with William Roth, a studio gaslight theater, who was just so welcoming and awesome to us last year and just kind of expanding. And, 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 and I'm so happy for him because he's been booking shows again and getting stuff. And so our dates got crossed. And I said, Hey man, we'll find another venue. Don't stop what you're doing because that's what gaslight's built for. And Will was really understanding to it. And um, we actually moved on to the Westport Theater, which is it, just an incredible space. Dan Byington, and, who's an, another huge producer in St. Louis. He did, you know, Bad, Bad Grandmas. Grandmas. Yes, he's, he's, he's a big dude. And we have Lenny Minx. Uh, Lenny Minx is just a, um, a firecracker. He's a guy that's also in the tech world like I am. So we vibe on a lot of different spaces. And it just kind of became our show. It's not just a shift in Haunted Garage production. It's actually a Westport Theater production. We are planning on doing this, this festival every year at Westport Theater, just because the venue allows itself to be boutique. It's 230 seats. It's got the screen. It's got the stage. It's got everything we need for our young filmmakers to get on stage, present their films. And then hopefully somebody walks away with the gold pistons, which and I have they heard. have a bar too. Don't forget about that. They have a bar, which is important. And they have a lot of restaurants. They have hotels. It's just the perfect place for um, any kind of venue. I think a festival. Actually, yes. And there's a, you know, they're actually premiering um, The Hill. Um, oh. Yeah. They're actually, he's going to actually premiere his film. Uh, what's his name? Joey. Uh, Joey Paleo. 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 Yeah, I met Joey. I absolutely love him. I think he's an incredible director. I love the film. I actually own it because that's the kind of person I am. I want to buy people's films. <laughs> I watched it and then I got to meet him actually with Dan Byington at the Westport Theater. So he's doing some fun stuff with that, finally premiering that there. And that's going to be a perfect venue for him as well. Unfortunately, I'm out of town. I won't be able to make it. But yeah, I think from from a horror festival standpoint, it is just the perfect venue because it's 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 got those very dark walls and you can really just focus on what's going on on stage. And that's what we're going to need for our special effects and makeup artist, Brian Hillard who did five seasons with the walking dead would receive an Emmy from that show would receive an Emmy from star Trek discovery. If you guys are Trek fans. So he's been doing makeup. He also worked on six Academy award-winning films, including Django Unchained, no country for old men. He's been around the industry for a long time. I'm proud to call him partner. He's actually joining 
um, the shift films board and we're going to bring in some oh, stuff wow. together. Yeah. So we've just become fast friends and, um, he has his company and our company's kind of merged. It looks like we wanted to be doing the same thing and in the same space and, um, everybody kind of vibes with each other. And so, yeah, we're, we're putting together an actual TV show right now that we believe is going to be a very good paranormal show. It's going to be very, diff very different take. And I definitely will give you guys the exclusive on that when we get closer to, um, what's going on with that. So. Well, that's going to be awesome. I was at Westport last week, actually, for I went in to talk uh, with Jennifer and Wendy on the KTRS morning show, and I noticed the uh, upgrade to the outside of yeah. Westport. They have all these little nice tables for people to enjoy cocktails at, mm -hmm. and uh, there are multiple places to uh, enjoy uh, some food if people go there early and also the parking there's a lot of parking <laughs> yes. yeah that's awesome I mean that was kind of the problem with the um with gaslight too it's kind of tough if you're not getting in front you got to kind of go down down streets and hope your car doesn't get towed or ticketed so with Westport you have all that parking but yeah speaking of the bar we're actually doing um Halloween pop-up bar right there during our festival so we're doing horror themed cocktails which is going to be really fun um, we did this last year and we basically are going to take some of the top films that are um, that are selected and we're going to actually create drinks based on the actual film. So oh, it'll cool. be it'll be really fun for people to kind of network. But this year, the festival is really about focusing on networking and getting in front of guys like Jeff Bassetti, who's also on um, our team there with Brian Hillard. And, and Jeff just has a world of experience. He's an incredible award winning writer in horror. I, I love the I love the name of his session, The Horrors of Filmmaking. It is the truth. It took him 20 years to make one film. And he it's about persistence and about consistency. And it's about distribution. And it's about production. And these are the things that we heard when we were going to our own film festivals, even in St. Louis, is that nobody really talks about distribution. Nobody really talks about, you know, somebody saying, yeah, I'm going to sign you to a deal and then taking your idea and running with it. And, and you're not you're excluded. And so these guys have that that background. I mean, combined between Jeff and and Brian, you're looking at over 40 years of experience in L.A. doing it with with, the, with Carantino. And I mean, being there and talking and once you meet Brian, he's not one of these people that, you know, are kind of standoffish. He's he's an in your face, highly energetic guy. Me and him went all through um, Grand Ave. We ate at Pizza Head. We ate at Terra Tacos. Have you guys eaten at Terra Tacos yet? I have. No. Not. Oh, my God. It, it's <laughs> it's incredible. It's all vegan. The food is absolutely incredible, and it's all horror themed. It's it's an, it's it's incredible. Wow! Oh wow! Then, is it is it uh, on Grand or is it on Cherokee? It's on Grand. Okay. It's on Grand now. Um, what is it? Apothesis Comics has one on Cherokee and one down the street. So. Oh yeah, know, yeah. We had Martin on our show. Yeah. Martin's great. Martin's been fast friends with us. We had Brian in there doing a signing a couple of weeks back, and and he's gotten to meet a lot of people in St. Louis that are just doing so. There's a lot of horror fans in St. Louis. And I think being this is the only horror film festival in St. Louis, I think that from years to come, this festival is just going to keep growing. And hopefully, it's you know, not just it's the longest running one as well. That's right. It's the longest running one, Carl. And it's the only one. And, well, um, if anybody wants to do a horror festival, I say just join our team. We, we are kind of. <laughs> We are kind of laying the bricks for it and 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 we love community and we love um we love any kind of collaboration i mean shift films has really changed their identity they've changed their mission statement over covid we we realized that 
we needed to be more welcoming to all types and all walks. And so we've really tried to um, kind of change a lot of things that we were doing from that side and not be so standoffish, not be so behind the scenes, but actually try to start collabing with um, a lot of different people and all different walks. So that's our hope that we can continue down this path is, you know, the nation is divided right now. And the one thing that unites us all is film and theater and entertainment. And we need that more than ever. And we need creatives on, on both spectrums and we need ideas from everywhere. So I, I think that hopefully we can be that bridge and, and this film festival can bring a lot of networking together. Cause I think the one thing we can all agree on as horror fans is that we love horror. It doesn't matter where you stand. It's bipartisan. <laughs> yes. Well, and speaking of the two gentlemen that you've already mentioned, our buddy Max Foisey is going to help you judge your awards that night on the final yes. night. Yes, I actually last year. Yeah. We, we, me and Brian were on Max Foisey um, and Brian uh, signed a whole thing to him. And, and so Max has just been a, a great supporter of Shift Films, regardless of what we were doing or where we were going. And so um, we're actually sponsoring him this year. Um, he's been our radio that we selected. And it just Max, just he, he is the, He's kind of like the Tarantino side, right? Where he just knows yeah. everything about every film. He's Max on movies. I'm going yeah. to see a horror film with him tonight, probably. Okay, which one are you seeing, Lucy? Smile. Smile. Okay, yeah. I am not, because I, I uh, have my <laughs> recording of KTRS, because tomorrow night we're going to a special critics-only screening of Amsterdam. So it was Amsterdam or Smile. I am going to see Amsterdam next weekend because I have St. Louis Blues hockey tomorrow night. Oh, that's yeah. right. Preseason. Preseason. But that's okay. Yes. Hey, we, that's where we blow all the cobwebs out of the speakers. Yeah. And did you, guys, uh, did you guys see Black Phone and do a review on that one? I did not see Black Phone. I think Max did. Max that's did. one of my favorites. That's one of we, my favorites this year. We did not uh, have access to that, I think, ahead of time. Sure. And so sometimes, oh, sometimes horror films. Uh, they don't let us uh, watch them ahead of time. Yeah, and it's weird because they're critic proof. They don't need. Frank, are you are you looking forward to Halloween ends, and do you think it will end? Um, I think that I think that uh, John Carpenter um, is done with the franchise. I think that um, when when jamie lee curtis is actually putting up her whole money and and god was that a good gamble right third a one million dollar film yielded 33 million yeah but um, the first the first one the first all right well, you you say what you want to say first and i'm gonna i don't the second one is not good of this trilogy the second one is an interesting take on the legacy of the film bringing yes. people in from you know if you're a halloween fan and I'm, my whole leg is tatted from from with michael myers so I'm, I'm a huge fan of it i i even liked rob zombie's version of it um yeah yeah, yeah. i think that uh i think he's incredibly brilliant and hopefully one day if everything goes well with this stuff i get to meet him and, and him and um uh, roth and stuff like that these guys are just you know my my icons the guys that i look up to and i just love the way they they do film but i think that when you look at why they're doing it in a way where you have Halloween kills, Halloween ends. I think that there was some interesting um, legacy grabs, even showing the mask from the uh, season of the witch, uh, which John yeah. Carpenter absolutely hates that film. <laughs> yeah. But he, he, he was okay with it. Yeah, he was. I think that he would have been fine with it. Had they listened to him in the beginning and made Halloween an anthology. A lot of people. Yes, that's that. what he wanted. 
yeah, a lot of people don't know. It was supposed to be with Stranger Things. Stranger Things is supposed to be an anthology. And mm -hmm. it never went that route because you make such a dynamic character with the Shatner mask. And like he was called the shape in the script. If you actually, I have actually the script behind me right here, signed by John Carpenter. Um, and he's not known as Michael Myers. He's the shape in the whole right. entire script. And so they don't make up that whole stuff until later. Yes. But I think that's the dynamic part, right? There's something about, I mean, between Michael Myers and Kane Hodder doing Jason, the four yeah. movies that Kane Hodder do are the scariest Jasons because you have Kane Hodder. Without Kane Hodder, the movie's not scary. Kane Hodder made, think about this. You have two, Freddy didn't shut up. I didn't like Freddy. He just did not shut up. Terrible puns, terrible whatever. Yeah. It's Wes Craven, love Wes Craven, but I'm not a huge Freddy fan. Um, but when you look at, when you look at um, Jason and when you look at Michael, the two things about them is they don't have any lines. And you have to imagine that. Imagine how like, and people are like, well, you know, he's just a stunt guy. And it's not true. Kane Hodder is one of the best actors because he couldn't use his voice. He had to use body language. And when you watch, and I know everybody hates this one, but when he does um, Jason Goes to Manhattan, which they're on a boat for 80% of the movie, but put a slide from that. Is you that know? nine? Yes. And then okay. they did Jason 10 and then Jason in space, which has the best kill scene where he dumps the girl's head in the water and poof, breaks it. Best <laughs> kill scene ever um, in a Jason film. But when Kane Hodder does the one from New York and he just is sitting right, he's really in the middle of like Times Square and he just looks over. It's just, that's Kane Hodder. He brings something to it. And, and Michael Myers is the same way. It's that, it's that I'm not going to chase you. I'm not going to run you down because I know where you're headed type of idea. The first film in this franchise, the way they start with the psych world is absolutely dynamic and incredible. It builds the story incredibly. I, I love the way that this trilogy started. The I love the way one, it ended. The first film ended perfectly. perfectly. It was a perfect ending. And I really like, yeah, yeah, I really liked it a lot. I like yeah. David Gordon Green's take on it because they were fanboys. Yeah. He and oh, David yeah. Bride. But I like the way they paid tribute to the first one. I actually saw the first one on opening night and a friend of mine and I ran around St. Louis trying to find it because this is pre-social media or anything. And we were so terrified. They were in the paper. You could have just gotten a paper, a post or a globe. And they, they tell you where the movies used to be. I know, but we had like, a, there were like certain screenings. So we saw it at the Esquire of second because nobody thought this film was going to do anything. Oh. And so it was in one of the tiny Esquires when it, they well, had the above. But yes. what were you going to say, Carl? I was going to say the way that the Halloween of this trilogy ends is ruined by the way Halloween Kills ends. It's just awful. It, it is an awful ending, especially when you have that mob of people and then it's like Darth Vader at the end of Rogue One. That's and then what happens at the end, which made me sad, but because I liked that character. And I really wish that character would have been in the third movie rather yeah. than some of the other annoying characters that they're gonna yeah. bring back. That's what they said about Scream too, when they killed off a famous character from the other movies in, right in the beginning of it. And he actually kind of tells you exactly how this film's gonna end which is incredible. And that's why Scream was so good. The last right. one was so good because he actually- West Craven again. Mm -hmm. Right. He actually tells you exactly who's going, 
who's the killer and he's right mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it's like that was that that kitschy thing from like watching all these films from like the 90s and stuff like that trying to come back because here's the thing and, and i think that's why me brian um uh, jeff Bissetti, there's a bunch of guys on our team i mean uh, my, my right hand person jeremy and i got some new cats as well um and so we've talked about this and nothing new is coming from from hollywood there's a couple ones like lucy and smile and black phone um but horror is really the only one that's actually creating new concepts there's a new film called z on shutter have you guys seen it it's completely wacko um but that's a really original concept and the problem is people can't get behind these films that are original they keep wanting to see reboots and and guys wearing tights i'm i'm done with superheroes i think they're the most (laughs) boring did you see bodies 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 no, we have it on our queue, though. Okay, it's yeah. it is new, and it's it's not as it's not what I thought it was going to be. Which it's just what you want in a horror film. Yeah, exactly. You, you shouldn't. That's why you know Jason Blum is really the one that kind of sets the stage for you know the found footage. And inside our own festival, festival, we have four features that we selected. Three of the four are found footage. And and it's tough. It's so tough to see which one you like the best. We have a brand new filmmaker. A kid did never touch the camera in his life. Lives in Tennessee, right? Um and I, I just love his story because he's like, I don't know anything about film or, or anything, but I love this story and I grew up with in Tennessee and Tennessee is the number one caving state. And there's this folklore about um, a chest that holds a demon and it's buried inside a cave in Tennessee. And so he decides to make a film with his buddies. And the film is actually, for somebody that's never been in film before, the film is really good. It got selected in, in the features. It's called Chest. Um, it, it's set to, to go off on Saturday. I mean, people that are coming to this film festival are not only getting originality, but we've hand selected 18 films from our pool of 200. Wow. Oh my so God, it, 200? yeah, we had 200 this year, which was great. And we lowered the price of entry just because of COVID. And we figured that, you know, people weren't working as much as they were. A lot of films weren't going to get done and they wanted to hand select stuff. And so we did get more films um, than we thought. And Sarah King and Jeremy King are kind of the screeners of that. They kind of go through all the films to give to um, just because their knowledge of horror is great. And it's tough because we don't accept trauma films. I just don't like porn horror. It, it's just not for me. Um, I think it's distasteful. I think it's great for if you're going to do Grindhouse and Troma Films, it should be its own festival. But it really sits outside of horror, in my in my opinion. We want storylines. We want thrillers. We want plots. And we want these filmmakers. Um, there's one uh, called... Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll do one more. I don't know how much time I have. But there's one that I have to call out, too. It's another feature... Um, it's called a lunatics film it's out of henderson tennessee um kids budget was 500 bucks and it's it's a very cool take on found footage okay so the found footage is actually from the sheriff's department of a serial killer that used to tape himself killing people so it's it's an absolutely really cool really really cool um concept too and that's what you're getting it and unfortunately you know i think hollywood is so sewn up by like I said, superhero movies and, and John Cusack said a couple of years too, he's not getting in tights because he actually wants to do film. Um, he actually wants to read scripts that are not on green screen. Like we're going back to practical effects, which is why we have Brian here. In Black Phone, it's all practical effects. There's no SC, um, CGI. Um, so I think people are done with um, CGI. I think people are done with computer animation. It doesn't scare them. It doesn't move them. Everybody knows it's fake. 
there's something about practical effects that makes it even that more real, gory, and gross. And that's why we've selected Megan the Barber from Union Barbershop. And we're going to zombify her on stage on Saturday night. So for two nice. and a half hours, we're going to do a workshop on that. So it's just going to be a really fun festival. And we also have Dr. Colton Scribner coming to talk about the three misconceptions of horror fans. Everybody thinks that horror fans are like sociopathic, narcissistic <laughs> serial killers. <laughs> so he's a PhD from um, Chicago University um, and the University of Chicago. So he's going to really enlighten the crowd while Brian is doing his thing. Colton's going to be talking about the three misconceptions of why we like what Brian is doing. <laughs> well, also the website is hauntedgaragehorrorfest.com. You can find out everything about it. And Frankie, I want to get your opinion. Uh -huh. uh, Lynn and I saw a movie this week uh, that I set a very low bar to see. We watched Pocus Pocus 2. Oh, wow. What is your opinion of the original, if you have one? So I think why I love the original one so much is because it, it, it's more about my foundational legacy with Halloween, and it reminds me of my childhood. If I was to tell you if the movie was actually a good film, it's probably it is a not. terrible film. It <laughs> like, is not a good film. It is not a good film, and I think why it's it becomes one of those... Um, it's kind of like Monster Squad, which a lot of people have never seen. It's oh, I like love that. My kids, that was part of their childhood. Yeah, Monster Squad, and there's Monster Ring. There's a whole series of books that they never made, but Monster Squad was great. It's the same thing as Halloween Town. Halloween Town are terrible, but you love <laughs> But to there are five of them. Yeah. Isn't Debbie Reynolds in them? Yes, she is. Okay. Plays See, the witch mom. I think I've, through osmosis, seen them all, and I honestly do not believe i've seen hocus pocus from start to finish but i think i have still seen the whole film yeah yeah i mean i love hocus pocus because once again theater uh, bet metler does some great numbers in it um i was in love with sarah jessica parker at that point i mean who doesn't love her um her and matthew broderick also great theater guy um but i think that there's more it, there's more buy-in from growing up with that film than actually looking at the film from a critique standpoint. You really can't. I don't know how part two is going to be good because it doesn't. Well, the, okay. <laughs> the bar is really low and I have many, many nitpicks with it, but I actually was impressed with Hocus Pocus 2. I good. did. I thought it was going to be awful. I Two nitpicks. One, they come back and the, their song selections and even in the first one, they do, I put a spell on you. How the hell would the witches know what I put a spell on you is? In this one, they sing two songs. They sing The Bitches Back by Elton John, but they change it to Witch. Uh -huh. How would they know any Elton John song? Because they've been, you know, not around for 22 years. And then they do One Way or Another by Blondie, which also same critique. That that that's just silly, but I know it's a children's film. And two, my other nitpick is no one, no, none of the kids from the original movie are back or really mentioned, which that I, don't I like. thought was weird. I mean, Billy comes back because you know that's, it, but it's the same Billy, so I enjoyed that. But it's just I thought, why wouldn't you mention those kids because they were so integral in the plot. And especially for a, a kid's movie mentioned virginity 
And they mentioned that in this one too, but they're a little more sly about it now because it's more of a PG-13 kind of horror movie. Yeah. And Bette Midler, they all look, Kathy and Angie looks uh, like she's having a good time and just happy to be there because I didn't think that they were bringing back King of the Hill, but I heard that that, that was, they were going to do it because that's her biggest claim to fame is being yeah. Peggy Hill. And they were going to bring it back, but that got sidetracked. And so this was, she was probably the one that said, Hey, bet Sarah, let's do this. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was called for. And, 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 and prior to the movie being done, there were so many fake posters online and getting yes. people excited about it. Um, and, and I think that when you look at that, and, and, and so the thing that I'm most excited for is the fact that I don't like that. The, I thought they were going to bring the kids back because that was the whole point of the story, the witch trials and, 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 and that, and, and the younger girl is such a great actor. Like she's, Oh my gosh. Actor. Yeah. And she's beautiful now. Like, I mean, it would have been, they probably couldn't afford her something, whatever. Um, but the one I'm looking forward to is Constantine too. I'm loving that they're rebooting that uh, with Keanu Reeves. I think he's getting behind that. So, I mean, sequels that, I don't think a sequel ever works. If you extend the test of time, you can't do Goonies too right now. I know no. it's in the works, but um, Screen Rant was talking about it. I I'm gonna, I'm gonna boycott the film. Don't ruin that film. Um, <laughs> well, just like the remakes, it. the remakes. Yeah. Why are there? There's no need to be remaking. No. Uh, what's the one that Jake Gyllenhaal is gonna do that everybody's freaking out about? Oh, Roadhouse. Roadhouse. Yeah. Right. Don't, don't Jake do Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Why, he's, he's why are people remaking things that don't need to be remade? Yeah. Well, the, the, they have all these. What's new about Hocus Pocus 2 is, well, first of all, Doug Jones, who plays Billy, who was Billy in the first one, his most famous role since Hocus Pocus was playing the fish man in The Shape of Water. And yeah. I, he and he didn't talk. He's done a whole bunch of motion capture stuff, but he is most famous probably for Hocus Pocus and he's back. And then they have uh, Hannah Waddingham from uh, Ted, Ted Lasso, Lasso in one scene, even though they allude that if there's a three, she'd be back. But what they do differently, they have the younger versions of the three uh, Sanderson sisters and you show how they first got in trouble. And those kids do fantastic mimicry of their older counterparts. Yeah, well, we are looking forward to Hocus Pocus uh, to I, I'm well, you kind of liked it. It was it was kind of like a half missed. I, I, I missed on the bar thing. was so low because Hocus <laughs> Pocus is just so it for some people, the bar is going to be very high. Yeah, because they as like you, you're that movie's beloved to you. Yeah. I think it's all whatever. Well, but, uh, go ahead, Carl. No, I was going to say some for me, the bar was low because I wasn't expecting much. And Disney Plus really did. They they made a movie. You know, they could have just cashed in and done nothing. And I wasn't going to watch it. My wife said, we're going to watch it. It's going to be on Disney Plus. So it's going to be on in the background anyway. So besides my two nitpicks, it's pretty good for what it is Lynn. Yeah. well i was gonna say the skyview drive-in is gearing up for its annual slash fest uh which is the last weekend in october and they're going to have the uh, hardcore one and they're going to have the uh Kids family one. one and somebody wrote 
on there, are you going to show Hocus Pocus too? And they responded, it's not in theaters. It's, it's only on, on Disney, Disney Plus. Plus. Right. So that, but I judge this uh, costume contest every year. It's um, <clears throat> in a O'Fallon. Well, this is the third year. We had a break with the pandemic. And it's the Witches and Wizards Festival in O'Fallon. And we always have the Bette Midler character people dress up. We had the first year we had like three of those. Well, that that is actually a major plot point in the film because they they take over a Sanderson sisters uh, costume contest. And I don't want to say what happens, but they don't win. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing about um, when you talk about like films for kids and stuff like that, we do have. We did select one film. We're actually not screening it just because we don't want the kids there because a lot of our stuff is really heavy, hard content. Right. But I do want to give it a shout out because you guys have to understand that this, this teacher, this is a phenomenal story. Um, okay. He, he basically got the entire... <laughs> so the film was made as part of a middle school filmmaking club. So all the actors are either teachers, secretaries, students at Orchard Farm Middle School. They did a feature film called Frankie Stein. Um, we selected it because it was so brave for these kids to get behind this teacher um, to kind of do it. His name is Nathan Bowman. Um, the writer was uh, Alex Curse. Um, and so when when you when you think about kids that are growing up with film, it's it's teachers like Nathan Bowman that are getting them into it early and understanding how production works. And to have a whole school kind of work on a film together was so awesome to us and so intriguing that we actually selected it in our film festival. It'll forever be a selectee of the Haunted Garage, the only horror festival in St. Louis. Longest running, Carl. Um, yes. Both <laughs> things are true. Those things are true. <laughs> well, I would hope that you would uh, do something sometime like that for the little ones. Uh, my uh, my late son Tim, he was a film teacher for middle school children and and junior high kids, and he spent two summers at this private school in Massachusetts called uh, uh, Fen Summer Fen, and on Monday. He and the kids would, well, the kids, he just facilitated, the kids would brainstorm ideas. Yeah. Tuesday, they wrote the script. Wednesday, they shot it. Thursday, they edited it. And Friday, they showed it to the whole uh, camp. And, and he did one uh, <laughs> waffle thread they're all waffles but he also <laughs> taught at this thing called nature's classroom during the fall and during the spring and he had this idea and he wasn't sure if it was going to ha uh, happen so he he uh, asked some of uh, fellow teachers he said i really want to do this with the kids but what do you think it was a re reservoir dogs uh parody but the kids obviously hadn't seen. Let's hope not. Right. Yeah, Mr. Pink. Um. <laughs> and so, so he had them. The caper was they they uh, filched Oreos from the kitchen pantry. <laughs> See, that's phenomenal plot line. I um, know, and so the whole student body or the whole they loved it. 
Yeah. He said they didn't want to watch Reservoir Dogs. They <laughs> cut off somebody's ear. Well, there I mentioned that uh, a lot of comedy people are in Hocus Pocus too, but I forgot to mention Tony Hale has a great part in it, and Sam Richardson also is in it, and there are a whole bunch of uh, drag queens, and I think it's a little risque for Disney Plus. So I hope it does well. Yeah, I mean, Tony Hale. I Tony Hale. It's definitely an interesting climate over at Disney right now to, to get involved with politics when they've been very um, kind of standoffish and just really focusing on, on the family element and whatever that family is now today. Um, but, you know, I think it's, you know, you draw a land, uh, you know, a line in the sand and, you know, you kind of kind of have to back it too, right? Well, if you're going to put Deadpool and Logan on, uh, but they, they do have, they do have parental settings that you can make sure that your kids aren't, you know, your five-year-old's not flipping on Logan. Exactly. And, and I think that there is going to be, you know, cause because for concern, I'm sure it will get, to me, Disney's just doing weird stuff. Like the, the little mermaid for me was just like, just make the movie. People are going right. to love it. We loved yeah. Brandy as Cinderella. She's, um, I was she's watching a great Blake. singer. The kid's a yeah. good singer. Yeah. That's all that I mean, matters. So, yeah. And same with like, don't, don't make your marketing about your character being a person of color, make it about the film. Like right. that's the problem with Disney today. Their marketing dollars are being spent on politics and like <laughs> everything is politics and, and they, they politicize everything. Just like, just make the film. People are going to hate it regardless because None of their live action stuff has done well. <laughs> Lynn, tell them what you thought of Pinocchio. I hated it. Oh, it was terrible. Perfect, it was, it, it perfect was, role for Tom Hanks, though. Well, let's talk about another tone deaf movie that <laughs> I had the fortune to see or the misfortune to see coming after the blonde one. I'm having not like a couple good weeks there because Pinocchio sucked. Uh, <laughs> blonde was, I can't unsee it. Jesus. and i wish i could and now i saw the greatest beer run ever and it is one of the most tone deaf films i've ever seen wow. it and it has a dunderheaded protagonist now this hold is, on now the funny thing is all the people in st louis that had apple tv that were watching albert Pujols sit, hit 699 and 700 saw an extended promo for this during the baseball game last week because you know apple didn't have a lot of sponsors for their baseball and they still have to do 100 seconds between innings they had zach efron and uh, peter ferrelli and the actual beer run guy do an extended little interview about this movie that i did not see because i think the, the idea is great but because it, it's a true story right lynn Yes, it is a true story, but it doesn't mean it's a good one. Peter mm -hmm. Farrelly decided after Green Book, of which three Oscars. It, it won the best picture, forever yeah. known as best picture. That he picked another quirky true story, but this one isn't. Well, as... hold on a second. Green Book based on a true story. Is yeah. this based on a true story too? Yeah, this is John Chicky Donahue. Uh, it's uh, 1967. Oh, so so this premiered because Green Book won the Audience Award at Toronto three years ago. This also premiered at Toronto 
but the critics were like, what the hell? So I have that same reaction. I wanted to see as after I watched <laughs> it, I wanted to see if people thought like me, because not everybody thinks like me. So I was like, what's the reaction? And I went and I saw how people are like, first of all, okay, so here we go. This guy is 1967. He's a merchant Marine. Many of his friends, he lives in a working class enclave of upper Manhattan called Inwood. However, all the characters in this movie talk like Boston Southies. <laughs> I don't okay. know what that, I don't know what that's about. Like nobody could get a New York accent, right? So uh, they're this working class enclave. They hang out at this bar that is owned by Bill Murray's character, the Colonel, who is a World War II vet, and they're all hawks. They're all rah-rah, pro-America, because, you know, all the dads and the granddads fought in World War II. So the boys are being shipped to Vietnam. This is 1967. There's a growing peace movement, and one of a chicky sisters is, you know, starting to protest the, hey, hey, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? Yeah. And he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? So the guys that didn't fight, they're sitting in the bar and they're talking about all the buddies because there's been a couple come back in body bags. There's been a couple missing. So there, this is the conversation. And Bill Murray goes, I'd like to give those kids a beer. And Chicky hat agrees to the scheme. Like I'll do it. I'll go over there. I'll give them a beer. And nobody thinks he's going to do it because he's such a slacker. So that just gives him incentive. Like, yeah, I'm going to take a boat to Saigon for two months <laughs> and with my sack of PBRs. But they don't tell you that, that the boat trip took two months. But anyway, that's <laughs> the real story. So he gets over to Vietnam and people are like, what are you doing? What? Like he goes, why I need are to, you here? Yeah, Everyone's I need trying to, to get out. These, you came over. Yeah, uh, he's got four friends that he's going to go find. And he's this intrusion because they're like, what is wrong with you? And he's got this, you know, New York attitude like, oh, come on, you know. So people think he's CIA. There's this rumor that he's CIA. So he starts getting access, which could kind of piss me off that here's this guy disrupting the normal routine of these military guys and getting rides because he thought he was going to hitchhike through vietnam and find his buddies um, so, yeah and so it goes from bad to worse uh russell crowe plays a war correspondent for look magazine and chicky's in this bar and he's pro-war and all the war correspondents are like what is wrong with you you know, are you seeing what's going on here? Because they're watching the TV. What LBJ and Westmoreland are saying is not what they're seeing. So Chicky has his eyes opened to the horrors of war. This is the plot. Wait a minute. Wasn't he already? You said he was a Marine. He was in the merchant Marine, merchant Marine. Well, because his bio as, says he was in the Marines. Well, he might have been in the Marines, but he works as a merchant Marine. But yeah, no, he's so uh, one of his best friends is MIA. 
and they flash back to them having fun, you know, in their youth. Well, anyway, um, he goes around seeing all this. They think he's CIA. He's getting extra access. So he's on this helicopter with a Viet Cong guy that they're trying to interrogate. And one of the military guys pushes him out of the helicopter to his death. That's a CIA and, way. Yes. And <laughs> the song playing in the background is cherished by the association. So this is very cliche on top of cliche of every Vietnam War film. And then the thing that, that I don't understand, and, and I when you said the beer run, in my head, I was like, I hope that's not the one where the guy tries to bring beers to people in Vietnam. It is. Because I did not like his film that won Best Picture. I think that film was terribly done. I think it was a terrible disgrace on the history of actually what the Green Book was. Um, and now he, look at the all-star, the people you've mentioned in this film. You have like all-star Oscar winning actors in this film and you're choosing to really use them in, in terrible ways, you know? I guess Bill Murray has just a cameo then. Yeah, it's an extended cameo. He's he's like in two or three scenes. And then Russell Crowe's actually pretty good. You know, Russell Crowe's played a correspondent before, or a press, he's played a journalist before, State of Play, I think. And, and also um, the Leonardo DiCaprio, no, the gangster one with Denzel Washington. American Gangster? Yeah. No, he was a cop, man. Okay, so he's played, he's played, oh yeah, because he had the notebook, but there's one where he's running around as a reporter. Anyway, so he's believable, you know, now that he's a little bit beefier and everything, he's taken on these character roles. So Chicky comes to realize that this war is chaos and hell and awful. And he happens to, he goes around and when he finds the guys, he's like, here, here's a beer. And they're all like looking at you because first of all, um, this is taking place in the Ted offensive when he's there. So not really good timing, but I had a cousin that was, was a Marine and was killed during the Ted offensive right before Christmas, 1967. And I'm highly offended by this asshole running around <laughs> Vietnam, giving beers to people while people like my cousin were, you know, in harm's way. And also my uncle was over there at a base Tui, in Tuiwa Air Force. He's Air Force. And every night those guys were drinking because he'd write my aunt. So they already had beer. They already had beer. What the hell is that? But then somebody says, Honda. like Russell Crowe says to Chicky, um, there's beer here. And he goes, yeah, but it's not American beer. <laughs> you know, and it's like, how tone deaf is this movie? And how ridiculous it is, you know. And then how do you get screened at Toronto? Like seriously, just be. And once again, it comes down to that 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 Sundance thing, where it's it's just a bunch of parties, and if you have a bunch of names and you know people, your film will get into the bigger film festivals. It's just, you know, what this film like sounds egregious to the area of Vietnam, where like yeah, a lot of my family, my best friend's uncle is a Medal of Honor recipient for jumping on a grenade and saving a whole platoon. Um, you know yeah. what I'm saying? He gave his life for that. And you guys are choosing to make Vietnam a game and, and a comedy? Like, yeah, this is not mashed by any means. This is just an odd mix of war drama and comedy. Yeah. And this guy, the protagonist, he is a stupid idiot. 
And so why should I have any sympathy for him? And Zac Efron, although I do like his later work, he is a limited actor. And yeah. so he's in these scenes where he's looking at people being blown up and and he's got this look on his face like, oh, my God. And it's like, well, what else are you supposed to think? But I like Zac Efron in gold. Did you see that one? Mm-mm, mm-mm. That one's neighbors. It's good in Neighbors. Yeah, no, no, he, you know, he's, he's grown on me over the years. No, yeah. uh, also this movie is two hours and six minutes. Ah. Oh God. That's torture. Well, and, and you know, and they go, they go through, they have a, you know, cool 60s songs in the background. Carl, you would be, uh, you'd be very critical of that. I am sure. Why? But I, I would, it takes place in like 67, 68. I, if like, if they're playing like the long and winding road, yes, I would be upset about it. Yeah, no, but it's oh, just they play the Buckinghams. They're my favorite. Um, <laughs> oh, I love the Buckinghams, but no, they do play some kind of deep drag. cuts. But, but um, <laughs> I just don't. I just thank you. Thank you very I much. I just don't understand why this movie was made. Well, you think about the Lost Boys of Hannibal, my podcast, right? It takes place in 1967. That is the most paranormal, prolific year america ever had okay because just, just all of the dead young men coming home well there was so much there was so much um you had mothman 1967 you had the patterson bigfoot video 1967 you had maelstrom air force base in montana where the ufo goes on top where the nuclear strike missiles are and it shuts them all down and it's all evidence and film you have uh manson gets out of prison starts his family I mean, 67 could, here you had all these actors and you could have done such a better film. <laughs> oh, I know. There's obviously, so I don't know where Peter Farrelly is going with this because he did, he was, he and his brother did Dumb and Dumber and there's something about Mary. No, no, he did Dumb and Dumber. They did Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, actually my favorite of his oeuvre is stuck on you with Matt Damon and Greg Kinnear as Siamese twins. Yes, that is hilarious. Greg Kinnear, whatever happened to him? He was a great actor. He's on uh, some cable show, some our streaming show. He was. I just saw him in something. I love him. He was on Broadway as Atticus Finch after um, uh, Jeff Daniels left, and then it was Ed Harris, and then it was Greg Kinnear. Ed Harris was awesome in in Maverick. That movie was phenomenal, by the way. My dog. Yeah, I we we were far better fans of it than we thought. Now the other movie <laughs> uh, Carl and I saw last night is is kind of a groundbreaker, isn't is it? A, Carl? It is a it is a it will be polarizing to some. Yes, it's it's Bros. <laughs> okay, it's amazing to me that this is the first ever rom-com that is 100% gay and someone said to me what about uh the holiday movie that was on Hulu with uh Mackenzie and Kristen two years ago and I said oh well, yeah that was well that, that was in theaters no that was just no. on Hulu and Fire Island was just on Hulu too with Bowen Yang, who is in this. Who is they in this? Several, this? They have several Saturday Night Live characters in this. Well, um, Billy Eichner 
who I thought was hilarious in his Billy on the streets segment. He did he did two more last week. He did a Jack Black and a Paul Rudd. Uh, the movie I was thinking of, by the way, was Happiest Season. Oh, Happiest Season, which I didn't care for, even though it did have Dan uh, Le- Levy in it and Mackenzie Davis. And Kristen yeah. Stewart and Aubrey. Well, right. But anyway, well, go ahead. Right. Well, this one uh, is uh, Billy as an actor, and I think he might be limited, but I love it. I follow him on Twitter, and he is a hoot. Uh, he's just a naturally funny guy. And his character, I think because he's not known as an actor, but as a comedian. Uh, yeah, comedian. Okay, he's, he, a, he's a character. He did, uh, he did some very limited acting on Parks and Rec, where he was a member of the Pawnee, he was a member of the Pawnee Council, or he worked in the Parks and Rec department, I forgot, but he was acting there, but he was still basically playing Billy Eichner. Right, so now we have a full-fledged gay romance, and he is, uh, it's got a really good supporting cast, now, and I think now, it's necessary. It's not really the first one because Love, Simon, technically, was oh, the first one. That's right. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I think this one goes more. Um, oh, definitely it does. What goes, was the What was the one with Ari Hammer? There, there was that was more of a. That was Call Me by Your Name, but that was that was just about. Ugh, that was kind of like a grooming relationship or that kid yeah. falling in love with an adult this is more just this is a pure rom-com good, like good love, love simon <laughs> love simon was you know teenagers in high school yeah. this is a rom-com and the rom is very rom and the com is very funny that's good because i think that like they're always they've become token in rom-coms yes prior to this film they're always the like, gay hey, best gay. friend yeah right. the gay best friend and and i think that's awesome i think you know that that community in general especially the gay men community they 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 definitely need their their take on stuff too i mean you have so many that it, it always feels like you know that the the trans is always still getting talked about a lot which is good they need that type of press but at the same time like these were the guys that I fought with in the nineties, you know, when they were trying to get rights and and far think about movies like Philadelphia. Well, they do, they do talk about that. And that actually brings the movie when they do their serious stuff, talking about how far they come. Yeah. I thought this movie was supposed to rebel against that. And it, it honestly looked like it's an Oscar reel. It looks like he's doing this one scene. Lynn, do you know what scene I'm talking about? Yeah. Them on the beach. And he's like, oh, how far we've come in this. I never thought I would be this way. And I said, okay, it's really well acted, but in a romantic comedy, it just felt out of place. And he's really good in that scene, but it's just, it, it's, it shoots for the moon and it really is, it's stronger than it needs to be. That's yeah. that's the thing. I like your shoots to the moon commentary. I like that a lot. Well, the Stonehall movie, the fictional version of that we saw a couple of years ago. I think what what's happening is they have so much to say and so much to prove. And in case there's not another one of these. And uh, they they it's a whole kitchen sink thing because he uh, is trying to get this LGBTQ plus uh, museum together and uh but uh getting back to like love simon 
They didn't hook up till the end. A lot of these movies yeah. is a romance where they don't is, hook up till the end. This one is very gay. <laughs> but, but here, okay, and I, I, I mean that a good as a, way. I mean that as, I mean that as a good Keep way. It and gay I also from the and producers. I mean it as a warning. There's a lot because some people, some, my I know people that don't like a lot of making out with boys and girls on screen. I don't. There is a it. lot of kissing and a lot of topless men and you know what they this is rated r and it's rated it's a hard r but there's no there's no dicks in it there's no penises in it there's no there's one no full frontal no full frontal but and there's like a comedic side shot of an ass so there's really not much nudity in it just a lot of topless uh shirtless sexy men and it's and a lot of these men making out with each other so if that is something that you are uncomfortable with, I said that I turned to my wife last night. I said, could you imagine taking your grandmother to this? Yeah. And she said, oh my gosh, no. Yeah. No. Well, there's that part where he talks about seeing love, valor, compassion on stage between his parents. And he's talking about all the penises on stage and everything. And it's at the, it's at the dinner where he meets his lover's parents. Played by Marcy Darcy from Married with Children, Amanda Bierce. I thought that's great casting. And there are there are very inspired casting choices in this movie. I loved some of the casting in this movie. I mean, uh, and I don't want to say some of them because some of them are surprises and they're very pleasant surprises. And the movie itself, it is very... It, they make fun of Hallmark movies because the main, the second lead is Luke McFarlane, who has been in many, many, many Hallmark movies, yeah. except they don't call them Hallmark movies. They call them Hall Hart movies, which yes. is very funny. Lifetime TV. Yes. but I, actually made, I made that joke. I made that joke about Shudder because yeah. Shudder has the worst horror films. So I made that joke about like, Shutter is the is the horror film horror film channel like like, like Lifetime, but you right. can't stop watching the films. Okay, so so, so uh, as a I digress here. I saw Joe Bob Briggs. I used to love Monster Vision mm-hmm. in the '90s, big fan, and now he's on Shutter. Yep, and he's having a horror slasher drive-in festival coming up, yeah, and it said Shutter, and I was like, what is Shutter? It's AMC's, um, so AMC owns it. A lot of people believe that Blumhouse owned it. That was a common misconception. Although I don't think Blumhouse ever addressed it either. They were just like, whatever. Um, but a lot of people believe that Blumhouse owned Shutter, and that's not true. It's actually AMC owns Shutter, And what it is, is it's a streaming service like Hulu, but it's only horror. Um, yeah. There's Slash X, there's Folklore, there's documentaries, there's, they have the Aliens documentary on there that's phenomenal. And they have, um, they have the horror film documentary that's six hours long with Eli Roth. Um, it's incredible. It, it's if you want to know everything about the history of horror, it's like it's a insane documentary that's hard. And it and even though it's six hours long, if you love horror, it's like it's so entertaining and you learn so many things. But I love my Shutter account just because like they do get some classic. Like I was watching Stepfather last night, um, oh, which is so good. That's a great that is film. so good. I didn't know anything about that, and I reviewed it actually. That was when I was starting to review for the B and D. 
Yeah, so, that was a good well, film. Back, I mean, back to Bros, Lynn. What, sorry. what, what would you? T- no, no, it's all right, Frankie. What did you? What did you think? I thought it was funny. I thought it was necessary. Um, I do like, but that's um, that's the thing because it was you're not used to seeing these shirtless ten out of ten scale guys making out with each other. It's it's interesting to see because you don't see it. No, you don't see it on screen. However, I have seen it plenty in theater. And right. so maybe yes, it, it's, the, it's not, not as, the same. Yeah, right. it's not as shocking because I've seen Love, Valor, Compassion uh, like with, three times. With with uh, seven flaccid penises on stage right in your face. Right, including two guys, which I actually told them in person. I said, it was like watching my brothers, you know, because I know them so well. And here they were on stage and I was like, I don't want to, you know, it's like some people that you consider like your pals, you don't necessarily want to see him. And the one guy just was horrified to be naked on stage. So he was always trying to be behind something. It was hilarious to watch him try to move over to be, have something in front of him. But I'm just saying like, I saw take me out, which is going to be on Broadway again. And Jesse, Tyler Ferguson won the Oscar for I uh, not Oscar Tony for Tony. it this year. Um, when I saw it in 2005, I didn't realize there was going to be so much male nudity and it's about a ball team. It's about the first gay player in the MLB that comes out and it's like a Yankees team, but they don't say Yankees. They call them like the Metropolitan. I don't know what they call them, but it's something fake but they're in pinstripes. So they're big start. So there were these little grates because they sent me pretty close, like maybe second row. Ah. And there were these little grates on the stage. And I was like, what are those for? Well, I learned soon enough because they were taking showers right in front of me. Six naked guys. Like I'm in second row, six naked guys. And they rinsed and repeated. They hmm. shampooed, rinsed and repeated. Well, I'm just like there, you know, and so, so see, I, you know, I'm used to this. Back to bros. Yeah, back to bros. Not all the naked men you've seen in live theater. Back (laughs) to bros. What do you want to tell people about the film besides that it is necessary and funny and romantic? Yes. If you are a fan of Billy uh, Eichner, it's a must see. And uh, it does uh, have some, it's like a kitchen sink. They bring up all the things and they bring up all the two characters, you know, L, B, G, T, Q. Yeah, every single, yeah, it's the whole rainbow. They're trying to be inclusive to everyone. Like I said, in case another movie like this is not made, this will be not why, but this will be, it gets something for everyone in this, which could hurt it. Right. And then you had every kind of the type of gay right. people because, you know, everybody lumps them together. But just like heterosexuals, nobody's like the same. We have the gym rats. We have the the flamboyant theatrical types. We have the bears, you know, and so tell they me more sh- about these gay stereotypes that you are uh, so can quickly come off with on top of your twinks, <laughs> boys, twinks boys, dads, bears. <laughs> guys forget that i grew up in south beach i grew up with gay people Um, yeah well i mean it was very normal it was very normal for me like when i came to st louis i I, it was the same thing with racism here it's like i don't (laughs) miami like you're you're the you can't be right 
you're the minority, bro. You're not gonna you're not gonna last long there, you know. Well, um, you know, you know how long I've been in theater. I mean, come on, you know, well, it's yeah. like what, what I want to say is usually when you have a comedy, and this is a romantic comedy, so that's a different kind of comedy. Usually when you have a comedy, you lose the comedy for story because you have to tell a story and get from A to B. And that's when the jokes go away. In a romantic comedy, as long as the story and the romance are going on, you, you give, you're a little more forgiving about less, fewer jokes. But this, both the romance and the comedy move through the story. It is quickly paced. There are a lot of jokes and a lot of romance. If you watch the first five minutes of this movie and you are uncomfortable, don't stay for the rest. Go ask for your money. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that, but I, I do think it's good. Well, just like Will and Grace broke down and broke ground and made it more acceptable on television. And uh, there's also reference yeah. to that, which yeah. I w- which we won't spoil. But, uh, you know, it just takes just like th- moving things forward. Like uh, I grew up in a time where nobody mentioned being gay where people it was like your confirmed bachelor you're yeah which we are but it, you know it's taken a long long time and milk won uh oscars and <laughs> tom hanks won an oscar and now we're all it's just it, well we cover a lot of we i'm not so laughing i'm not laughing about what Lynn is saying, I'm laughing about there are points in the movie that reference almost everything that she's talking about. Right. I'm I'm saying that which because... are very funny. Right. Well, it been, it's, also, been, it's also a history on lesson. the nose, too. I mean, you got to be well, it's it's not it's the way that they do it. Billy Eichner's hilarious and he knows what's funny. So I I I don't think they're on the nose. I think it's and they're not punching down either. They're punching at their own weight, let's say. Right, but they're making points. And I think my, my uh, uh, I, I brought as my guest, my, my uh, uh, gay friend who he's the will to my grace. Yes. And uh, his husband, and they loved it. And they said, oh, gay people are gonna totally love this because Good. they'll just get it. And then uh, he, he turned to me at this one point this is before the holiday stuff. Yeah. And he goes, this is like when Harry met Sally. And, and then they reference. Which right, at, right after he said it, they reference it. But it is a little bit like when Harry because met Sally. Because they know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So right. I, I do think of it, it's, well, it'll be an acquired taste. And I hate having to say that. Well, no, you're right. It is. And you know, if you're uncomfortable with us even talking about this, this ain't your movie. So next week I will have to talk about the good house because I came home last night and the uh, from bros uh, fully intent to watch it, but the Cardinals clinched and I had to watch that and then mm-hmm. uh, fell right asleep. All right. Well, excellent. So uh, Frankie dropped off. There he is. We want to right mention his website again. We want to mention hauntedgaragehorrorfest.com. So, Frankie, thank you for being on with us today. Yes, thanks for accommodating us. I really appreciate it, and we look forward to it. So what are the dates of your film fest? We are October 7th through the 9th. It's a three-day festival. 
Uh, we kick off Friday night, the 7th at 6 p.m. You'll meet uh, Ryan Eimhoff, actually from Fresh Hell, his partner, Matt Neal. And we will be actually screening Fresh Hell again because it's done so well in the horror movie circuit. Oh, yeah. well, that's that'll give me time to get something out about it. Yeah, it'll be great. And then you can basically just say, hey, if you want to watch this film, um, that screens. And that's basically for everybody that bought a ticket, whether you're watching just if you're just going for the um, speakers. So we have three tickets. The horror pass is 50 bucks. But if you're listening right now, if you type in time warp, all caps, you'll get $10 off the ticket. So it's 40 bucks for the whole weekend. You can do the speaker series or just the um, film series. They're each $30. I recommend you just do the pass for 40 bucks. Time warp is the promo. And you can come and go as you please. Uh, if you don't know, Westport's got restaurants everywhere. Um, come, go eat lunch, come back, network, meet some good people. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's just a lot of fun. But yeah, Fresh Hell is going to basically launch us. You're going to watch the Best of Fest last year. And then it'll really set up. We're also doing all the micro shorts on Friday. So you got a total of 17 minutes of about seven films. I uh, got a lot of local St. Louis filmmakers are in this film show too. Let's not forget that. Um, Alex Hernandez has a really good film. Um, he's 40 years old. He's doing some great stuff. I actually had him talk to the Eureka, uh, the leader over here to get his quote on why he's so excited about the horror festival. So, you know, we have a bunch of, we got, um, what is it? Michael Shin is actually in this one too. He has his film self-exposure. Um, we got just a bunch of like, you know, come support New York horror. I'm sorry, St. Louis horror, like New York does it, you know? Right. I mean, damn, we, we have so many great filmmakers here. Come support them. Hauntedgaragehorrorfest.com. Well, well, there were a couple um, uh, horror movies in the uh, St. Louis Filmmaker Showcase, of which I was on the jury. And I really liked your film, Frankie, and you said it was going to be available. So so before we end for today, uh, tell us where you can find your film. What film? The one that you showed at the St. Louis Film. Oh, Festival. Cringe. You can watch Cringe at our Vimeo at Shift Films on Vimeo. Uh, Cringe should be unblocked. Go ahead. It's a 23-minute film written by Jason Clayfish, directed by Leo Ramsey, um, uh, shot by myself and uh, Miles Minar um great great film 23 it's won over 40 film festivals uh seven of which are in la so we've done a very good it's actually been vaulted now we're not presenting it anymore at any film festivals but you guys can watch it for free at shift films vimeo account go ahead and check and that I, out actually I it's randy shin it. not michael shin sorry randy shin did self-exposure my bad <laughs> oh okay randy uh is a swick graduate with uh, dan cross and he went to school with my son tim yeah, so, and yeah. we have a lot of Webster filmmakers, a lot of Webster alumni in this round too. So very, yeah. very fun to see some Lindenwood students. So yeah, I'm excited. Well, thanks. And thanks for doing it. Thanks for coming along. And uh, we will be talking with you, I'm sure, again. So Lynn, where can we find you on the socials? I am in all the socials. I'm on KTRS uh, every Thursday night after the 10 p.m. news. I'm in the Webster Kirkwood Times. I am on website poplifestl.com. And we have not one but two uh, reviews of Blonde. Alex McPherson, who writes for my site, he just posted his. And it's a brilliantly written summation of that movie. Of how horrible it is? Yes. Okay. Uh, it's it's so well written and uh, mine posted first because I have to put mine on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. So oh, anyway, well. well, hey, I'm one of the people that I think we're down to 
what 38 or something like that on it i don't know no well actually on rotten tomatoes what's so weird is that the audience uh reaction the audience score is lower than Than the the critics score well that's not that's not rare it's not rare critics often love movies that the public doesn't find tasteful oh yeah yeah i guess but it's but the critics part is getting there and it dropped it it dropped on wednesday so watch it on netflix and tell me when you turn it off all right you can yeah i think you you guys are awesome (laughs) thank you you can find me on twitter and instagram at underscore carl the intern you can find me on the mark cox morning show monday through friday on 97.1 fm talk and you can find me on the second amendment and the great outdoors a show that frankie's been on and that's on saturday and sundays on 97.1 and sundays on kmox when there is not a conflict with baseball slash football so have a good weekend everyone have a good weekend cards are back in town go cards uh see frankie's horror films and we will be talking lots more movies next week carl all right good sounds good later guys bye Bye-bye.